All right, folks. Thank you for tuning into another episode of Bucks from America podcast. I am first. This is the first recording of the Iowa Deer Classic tonight. I have tactical outdoor approach. I have two brothers here that love each other dearly. I have Austin and Dakota Stone. That you guys have developed something that is something that is provides a value to people, and it's pretty exciting to watch these guys grow, getting to know these guys. So tonight. We started off the night with cigars. We started off with some Jim Beam, and it's just continue moving on from there. So this is a, just going to be a fantastic conversation between the three of us here, and it's going to be interesting to learn more about Dakota because this is his first time on the podcast, and he's going to be able to provide some insights that we've already talked to with Austin, and he's been on several podcasts already, as far from the where to, the OKS Hunter podcast to my podcast to. Uh, what was the one that you were just recently on? Um, the Hunt, Lift, Eat podcast. There we go. See, there you go, folks. There's, go check out this podcast. Go like and subscribe. Go follow their YouTube and whatever else. Now, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to roll the intro, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have some questions for Austin because, man, he's, got, he's had a phenomenal season for 2022. All right, folks. Austin, bro, how you been? I'm good, man. How about yourself? Dude, I am loving fucking life, bro. This weekend has been on my top priority for the last several months, and I've been planning for this. And this podcast was not originally planned. This was just all just dumb luck. But when I found out how many awesome people that have been on the podcast that have been here, we have Orlando Vivone, we have Rendell Eric, we have Eric Clark that's going to be here this weekend. There's a lot of fucking studs here. And we got... Dakota on his very, very first podcast, I'm pretty excited about. But, bro, man, tell me about your 2022 season. Man, it was a heck of a season this year. Um, I didn't hit quite as many states as I did in my 21 season this year. But I, um, Kansas, I finally drew for the first time. And um, that was a fun season. I ended up harvesting my target buck that year. I kept track of him you know starting in september and harvested him november 14th and that was a that was a heck of a season so it is it's kind of an up and down season because i also had a lot of bad luck when it came to my main properties in missouri and you know i had a lot of public land uncontrollables went into that the bad luck that when it came into missouri and i shifted my focus solely basically on Candace because I had consistent movement and a lot of good mature bucks and especially this one particular 10 point that is going to be on my wall. Yeah, I've been watching your your footage on YouTube. You've done such a fantastic job of your editing, streamlining your videos. YouTube has just fucking taken off for you. I mean, you're over over a thousand followers. You hit your 4,500 hours. So you hit you hit uh monetization haven't you yeah we monetized um end of november congratulations is, is when we finally That's not hit easy. That, that was a big milestone and of course we ended up you know going to a cigar store in town and celebrating with a a little bit more expensive cigar than normal so nice. <laughs> that, that was that was a pretty special time and you know that's i i looked up the the numbers and i think it's 
10% of total YouTube channels finally hit a thousand subscribers. So when you finally kind of hit that number, that is a pretty big actual milestone. For sure, man. I'm, there's two milestones for those that are that don't know anything about developing a YouTube channel. So you one of your one of your requirements is to hit a thousand subscribers. Mm-hmm. That's that's a little bit easier than you think it would be. But then your second thing is hitting forty five hundred consecutive hours or hitting forty five hundred hours within three hundred and sixty five days. Yes. So what will happen is that if you hit your I'm talking to you Dakota on this right here because you already you already know. So <laughs> as soon as you post your first first video. You have 365 days to hit 4,500 hours within that. Because as each day passes, those those views, those watching pull hours just disappear. Yeah. And it is a fucking grind. I'll tell you what, man. But the best part is like you you provide value, provide education. You, and you plus the back, best thing is you back everything up with your cinematography with everything. It's like, dude, your camera footage is just top notch. I appreciate 100% what you've been able to do, bro. That is a not, it's not an easy thing to do because those who don't edit audio or video, it is a grind. It is because mm-hmm. it's like, there's a constant learning curve. You have Adobe that always comes up with new, new stuff. That brings me to my next question. Yep. What do you use to edit your videos? I use Adobe Premiere Pro. That's what I use to uh, edit my videos and it's, the cool part about Adobe is that it's easy to use from a very basic standpoint. You know, if you want to stay, stick very, you know, beginner level and learn it from there, but it gives you space to get very advanced with, with your editing techniques. And that that's one thing that drew me to Adobe is it wasn't just, it was easy to use as a beginner, but it was, it had room to grow and, over this last year obviously you know as i get you know you start googling and youtube more techniques and start trying to better your videos and create something that's more entertaining you know to watch as a viewer i mean there's a lot of room to grow on adobe and that's why something i've really enjoyed learning that is that is really uh, a fun thing to do because over the last few weeks i've spent a lot of time like really examining my own podcast i've mm-hmm. not, i've seen some flaws but then i found what i was lacking on and it's like the best part of when you utilize youtube as a tool you're able to grab certain key aspects for it so i use audacity to edit my podcast you really can't tell the difference between uh, adobe or anything any of that maybe some can but you dude those guys respect your ears because those ears know the fine quality tunings of the aspect of when you're doing audio editing but there's things that i didn't even realize that when it comes down to noise gate uh, to amplifications, compressors, thresholds. There's a lot of finite things that you, you're always constantly learning. And the best part is there's, there's fantastic teachers out there. So those who listen to this podcast, if you want to know who I utilize for my resources, please let me know because I'm glad you send you the link to their feed so this way you can subscribe to it. But man... So Dakota, you've had a chance to talk to listen to what we've been talking about. We've been talking for like the last couple hours. We mean, we got into some Jim Beam Red Stag, and I'll tell you what, boy, that's gonna taste delicious going down. But I tell you what, if you drink too much, you're not you're gonna hate the morning. It's a lucky whiskey. It's a lucky whiskey. So, tell me about this lucky whiskey because you were telling me about this tonight, and I want the audience to know why Red Stag is lucky. The Red Stag is lucky because Austin decided to start shooting shots of this 
the night before he ended up shooting his big deer, his target buck. And um, ever since then, honestly, like, it's just stuck. It used to be a fishing whiskey where all we do is sip on it and enjoy it. And then all of a sudden, it ended up being the night before every single hunt we'd go out, we'd okay. take a shot. And he ended up producing some success on it. And it goes down a little too smooth to it not does. be able to. Say not going to lie. It, it goes really down well. Yeah. That's pretty badass, dude. So. Tell me about your origins into the hunting realm because I'm, I know what awesome drives him, but tell me some of your early experiences that really keep that passion alive at 28. Early experiences, it all started with my dad. Okay. Um, me and my brother were both very fortunate to have a father figure who put us into the hunting industry. Um, got us introduced, introduced into the outdoors and something that not everyone has that ability to, you know, at a young age. And when we were 10, um, that's when we were fortunate enough to be able to pick up a rifle and go into the woods. And ever since then, man, um, all the time that in the woods I spent with my dad, it just built a passion. It built a love for the outdoors, something simple. Okay. And ever since then it just stuck. And we grew with it. Me and my brother kind of took a different route. We went from just two weeks out of the year for gun season, we'd go out and look forward to getting the day off school. You know, we dad would come pick us up early and get us out of school. Okay. And we went from 10, 12, 14 to when we started picking up a boat. So all of a sudden we morphed it into something that was uh, a passion more so, you know, a life, like kind of like a, 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 a desire, you know, what, what, what we wanted to do with our lives and stuff. And it came down to conservation. We loved, loved, loved um, taking care of what was provided for us in Missouri. Missouri the MDC does a great job with um, land in conservations, and we wanted to take care of that. So we were raised at a young age to take care of the properties and respect the animals in which we pursue and um, that all started with my dad that's and awesome ever since then we picked up a bow and we decided to uh take off on our own little our own little pursuits and i mean honestly man as long as i i can remember me and my brother have we've been in the woods we've been been each other's best friends and our best memories with people who are still with us and no longer with us have come from the woods and uh -huh. those are things that you just can't replace and uh that that's where it started was with our with our dad and i guess now now we're just trying to kind of pass that desire and love for the outdoors on to people who maybe didn't have someone who was there to show them when they were 10. i gotcha when did you get into archery because everybody hits archery at a different point in their life mm -hmm. So I started, um, I started shooting when I was about 14, 13, 14. Uh, I picked up my brother's old, uh, what was it, Martin? Martin. Yeah, his old Martin. And it's funny because now my mom shoots it. And it was an old youth model that pulled, what, to about 50 pounds? Yeah, I think it was about a 50-pound Yeah, it was adjustable, like 35, 50 pounds. And, you know, I was at, you know, I was, I was young, so I couldn't pull a whole lot. I've always been a little skinny dude. 
And, you know, so I'm pulling back 40, 45 pounds when I'm like, you know, 14 years old. And that's just where I learned, man, was just 20 yards. There's a styrofoam target right in front of me. And if I couldn't put that arrow in a two by two square with no heart rate and no adrenaline, then how, how would I be able to make that sort of shot on a living animal when it's even 40 yards from me? Mm-hmm. So, you know, ever since then, it was, I think it was just a respect for the animal that we pursued. Um, that kind of drew me to bow hunting. I, it's personal. It's, uh-huh. you're close, you know, and that's something that people who, if you don't bow hunt, you don't really understand it. Um, and that's not a bad thing. It's just, it's not for everyone, and but for us it is. And that's what we love to do. And if we could, if we could bow hunt for the rest of our life and never have to touch another rifle, we'd choose that in a heartbeat. But here in NDC, we got 10 days out of the year where we really... We, we got to at least either use a rifle or we got to use our rifle tag. So, <laughs> you know, we might as well bring out the equalizer every now and then. I got gotcha. you. Well, because gun hunting is what I've, I've always u- utilized with when it comes down to using a firearm is that it's when you need to get down to business and you want to just shoot and provide and put meat in the freezer. It's it's getting to touching on your dad's experiences for you. That's what that's what deer hunting was for me when I was growing up. Was mm-hmm. just putting meat in the freezer. Mm-hmm. Did not matter what what it was, how big the rack was, because my dad never cared about it. Because like he valued the interaction of cooking the meat for us, and it's always stuck with me. I, I pass the same values on to my daughter, and that's what really that's what really drew me to hunting. Now it's like with archery. It takes that passion and it just 10Xs it because now you appreciate far more because gun season, we just got discussed, very short, nine to 10 days, if not, if not less than that, depending on what state you're in. Now you add in archery, depending on what state you live in. Like I live in Wisconsin. Most people, all my listeners know, season starts second week of September, runs all the way till end of, of January. Depending, well, can't say that about all Wisconsin, but where I hunt, it does, which is, which is, which is convenient, especially if you don't hunt gun season and you want to, that's what I'm looking for, allow the deer to kind of stabilize, you know, because Wisconsin has, depending on what the county, has a holiday hunt. And then holiday hunt starts from Christmas to New Year's Eve. Mm-hmm. It's a long time right there, but it, yeah. it, it gets kids out there. But for bow hunters, like, we, we were trying to sneak into their house. It's This is their, where they live, where they sleep where they breathe and we want to get in there and just kind of appreciate it because I, myself, I take, I draw less, but I enjoy more. And it's just part of, uh, for me, it's part of my growth. It's like the whole, how I re- review everything from the season. Cause I had one shot on a deer, called up several other ones, but morals, ethics, whatever popped in my mind at the time of the potential shot mm-hmm. changed my attitude. Mm-hmm. So what do you got, um, Austin, man? So what are some of your, your earlier memories of your brothers? Like, Because you're the older one of the two here. Mm-hmm. Yep. What were, some, what were some of your teaching moments that has really, like you've seen as an older brother, as a mentor, has really stuck with your brother Dakota and has just 10X'd him to, to where he's at today? It's a tough question. Yeah, I know. It is a pretty <laughs> tough question because, you know, I was um, – while Dakota was hunting with my dad, you know, my dad was setting me out 
on my own at that point to to hunt on my own and then he he was hunting with, with dakota where he used to be you know hunting with me so um probably i mean i got to start venturing out a little, little bit more and and you know scouting and and hunting those all day sits i remember hunting those all day sits more of as a youth and and you know not showing back up to the car or the truck you know till way after dark and and walking out on my own and you know thinking the trees were coming alive (laughs) (laughs) you must have you know you've been out there for a while you've seen shadow people behind the trees oh you know it i mean it's it's funny how your mind especially as a kid plays with it a little bit more as than you do you know here as an adult you know when you've done it for so many years you don't think anything of it but you know as a kid you know things stand out a little bit more to you than they did so you know sitting out as an all-day hunt no matter what the weather was at that time you know i i remember we were hunting this specific piece and i had my heart set on this one buck um you know made giant rubs massive rubs so do you have them on camera didn't ever have them on have them on camera i tried i put a camera out but i I didn't you know didn't ever get them on camera so what year was this to kind of give oh man some perspective that is a solid question this was i want to say i was what 11 or 12 maybe at that point dakota i would say i mean at this i was 10 i would say 10 yeah i was 10 because when we were 11 we that that all that pursuit for me almost ended yeah like remembering you know you pursuing that that specific deer because because i i remember i passed that'd be like on, 2004 yeah that's okay about right. yeah. I, I passed on a buck that that year because he wasn't big enough to me oh. and in my, in my mics i had my heart set set on this one deer but I, but you know that 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 would have been my first buck and in turn i had to wait another two to three years before i shot my first buck so it's, it's like well something? maybe i should have shot that deer yeah. it is something, man. <laughs> but um you know that that's uh you know being happy with what you're what what with a deer that's presents a opportunity versus you know getting your heart set on a deer that you may never get an opportunity at that is a valid point man so so was were you part of that well so that have been if that had been oh three so have been so you probably would have been eight years old then at that point in time so were were you like kind of watching him as he comes back from because was this public land or private land at that time back at that time frame everything was public land we've we've only ever set our foot on public land i gotcha yeah, private lands is just as good as public land. To be honest with you, it's just the yeah, only difference. We've heard. Yeah. <laughs> it only comes down to you're not paying the pro- property yeah, tax. Yeah, That's what it really yeah, comes right? down to. Yeah, it's one extra piece of arsenal to put meat in the freezer. Well, that that, that was kind of you know the deal that got us set us up is you know um, dad taught us to walk, do more than the next guy. You know, walk a little, little bit further, go, go to those spots that the guys weren't getting to. And that's why we were seeing the results, you know, whether it be on a buck or not, you know, on a doe, we would just see more deer, period. And that's how he we got started on, on that path of work a little bit harder than the next guy, and you're going to see better results than the next guy. Uh-huh. And then as time has pre- progressed, we've taken that, to that next step 
you know what I mean? And and we've been fortunate enough here, you know, over the last however many years to harvest some very quality public land deer. But um, you know, that's that's where it started is you just you get started working a little bit harder and work walking a little bit further than the next guy. I gotcha. So when did you shoot your first buck, Dakota? I figured that question was coming. <laughs> uh, so you know, it's it's funny you ask that. Um I was twenty one. Okay. When I shot my first buck. And you know, if I was hunting since I've been hunting since I was ten. You know, at least you'd think, hey, man, he's got to run into something, right? And it's like, I, for a long time, I, I chose to only harvest a four-point on one side deer. Okay. So that deer would end up being a seven-point or an eight-point, you know, or more if I was lucky. Well, as, you know, as luck would have it, the majority of my encounters ended up being six points, seven points, and it was the learning curve. And it took me a while. It took me a while to really kind of catch on to um, what these deer do on public properties, what these mature deer do on on public properties. And when I was 21, I was walking in. uh, I remember it like it was yesterday. I mean, that deer's on my wall. He's, it's a funny thing is he's, He's probably my smallest deer I've ever harvested, but he's probably the proudest. He's my first ever, you know, first ever buck. He's the first ever deer that went on my wall, and he's broke off on one side. He thought he was pretty hardcore until my bullet went through him. But, uh, you know, he, uh, he, you know, it was, I was walking into my spot one day at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, you know, and I was just moving in really slow. And... I had my thirty thirty lever action on me, and that thing's pretty pretty trustworthy. It's killed a few deer over the years, even with my dad. And uh, next thing you know, I heard I heard some you know leaves rumbling and some grunting. And I look over, and at the time, a hundred and fifteen inch deer looked like a hundred and eighty inch deer to me. <laughs> you know, and he was grunting, and he was making a you know making a fuss of a spike that was falling a doe. And next thing you know, I had him at 20 yards, and I was on a knee, and I put a bullet through his shoulder, and I had my first buck on the ground within sight, and I, the from the the tone on the phone that I had with my dad and my brother, you you would have thought I shot a 230-inch deer, you know, and that was that was my first buck, and it came when I was 21 years old. That's and awesome. That took 11 years of passing on opportunities it took 11 years of um you know saying no to to a deer that you knew was a two and a half year old deer just simply because ah, i just it didn't feel right or something it just wasn't wasn't what i was looking for at the time and it finally paid off and it finally paid off and ever since then you know it's a lot of things have came to together in my mind i've learned a lot obviously i've had an incredible mentor here sitting on my right and um you know i've been fortunate to put a few more deer on the ball since then and you know we haven't really looked back and ever since then it's it just seems like it's growing and it just seems like we've just learned more and more and more and we've been able to find some of the you know even even bigger deer and that's just that's just something that we look forward to every year as a personal challenge more than anything else i gotcha so how so i, I know his story behind his buck 
I haven't seen anything. So did you did you cross paths with something worth pulling trigger on this season? Yeah, it's twenty twenty two. This season, I was fortunate. Um, I tagged out on a very very nice eight point. Um, and honestly, this year was a very meaningful buck to me. Uh, I I was fortunate to tag out on a property that I grew up and me and my brother first started hunting on. This and is where it began. This is where it began, and it's a small little piece of acreage, you know? And so it's like my goal this year, I didn't get out and do my postseason scouting this last season, you know? And I was like, oh, man, I'm, I'm, behind, the, I'm behind the curb. You just trust yourself. You trust yourself, and you know what to look for. And I, I'm not kidding you. I don't think I set in a, uh, I don't think I put a boot in the woods until a week into October. And for me, that's a sin, <laughs> you know, like that's not me. And I was, but I, I was like, I knew what I was looking for, and I knew if I could find it, and I knew if I could hunt it smart, then I could, I could fill at least one tag this year in Missouri. And Missouri's always turned out to be a very, very hard state to. Put a tag on a mature deer and who de- the people who do should be very 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 you know grateful for it because missouri is not a, not an easy state and this year we did you know like i i found some sign i found some active scrapes um i set three different stand locations until i finally found the tree that i wanted to sit in and I did those stand locations in a matter of three weeks, you know, so yeah. I found some active sign. I sat it. Oh man, there's does, you know, young bucks move deeper. And I sat again, I saw some shooters, but they were 50 yards off. Oh, they're just, so th- this was during the archery season. Yep. Okay. Yep. This is when, you know, mid October, they're starting to scrape and there's, you know, the ruts starting to pick up here in Missouri. And next, you know, I was like, I saw, I saw two shooters. I would have been very, very glad to put my, you know, put my tag on, and they were 50 yards off of me. And anyone who bow hunts knows that man, a 10 yard difference could make a difference, let alone 50. And so I, I told my brother, I was like, man, this season I'm getting a little aggressive. In the past, I've trusted my trees, and I've just sat and waited for them to produce. And this year, I was like, I'm gonna move that 50 yards, even if it's a little bit of a risk. And we've always we've really been trying to find um, mobile light setups to be able to do that, and that's what I did. I took my saddle, you know, I took my ring of steps, and literally a fifty-yard bump. I could see the tree that I was in, you know, the weekend before that I had a really nice deer come by that I just didn't didn't get an ethical shot on. He was fifteen yards. Great video, just non-ethical shot. And the way we were raised, you know, it's ethicality. You're you're mm-hmm. shooting at a, you're shooting at a living animal, and if you're not certain of that shot, you shouldn't take that shot. And he was, you know, he was 15, 20 yards, and and you know, I got to I got to watch him walk off. But man, he he kept me going because those next two weeks, I was after that deer until finally got a shot on this eight point. And he he he's a beauty. He's I'm beyond happy. Well, he was 100, 130 inch eight point, and he just absolutely tickled me pink man i was i was shaking in the tree i was screaming and hollering i swear anyone else on that property heard me hollering down those ridges man because i was he he came in hot on a doe there was some some scrapes and 
I barely, I barely got him stopped. You know, I barely got him stopped for a shot, and it just all worked out. You know, I, I was thankful for the opportunity, and and now, you know, now we're here. Now we're, now we're on to the next, the next season, and um, I'm just be beyond thankful for this year. I think this year stands out more than any other deer, and it happened to be on the property that we grew up hunting, so it's very meaningful. Nice. So question for you both of you maybe maybe one of you guys will know this what is the average size for like an a, a, a average size buck coming out of missouri so public land how about this just overall overall yes because because right. bucks live everywhere private public doesn't matter yeah this is where i'm asking for the overall state to state corner yep. to corner to find out what what the average is because that actually plays a a unique perspective on it because it's you you shoot yourself a 160 class mm-hmm. this is just assuming let's say the average is yep 130 yep shoot a 160 class buck that's a fucking monster yep it's a monster in my book yeah i mean you know my, my idea when i'm when i'm on public land unless i've got eyes on it's still a 130 140 for me and and even on public on private land um i mean a 140 is a really dandy deer so so that the trick that there is that missouri has some studs it really does missouri's got some studs but missouri also gets hunted very very hard really a hundred percent and that, so I think, that's I think, what makes it so difficult to hunt is it's not that the deer aren't here it's just they kind of get they pushed get pushed off. so so that that's something that gets that gets looked over because missouri's a midwestern state and you know you know, because Missouri is not traditionally known for big bucks. Like Wisconsin is number one, mm-hmm. and then you got I think was it Il- Minnesota or Illinois are number two, number three. I think Missouri four. Yeah, Missouri is in the top ten. It's in the top ten, but I yeah. think it's down towards the bottom of the yeah. top ten. Is what I saw. I think so too, because I know Kansas is yep. right in there too as well. Yep. For it, when it comes down to notable notable notoriety. Yeah, and um, you know, I think a one forty for anybody hunting unless you got eyes on is a very very quality reasonable goal and you know what i mean and um especially on public land you know i shot so that my 21 season i shot a 130 and i want i shot a 170 on on in missouri damn that's a that's a forty-inch difference. That's right a forty-inch difference. That's and impressive. I, see, I've, I've seen I've seen the photos and stuff like that, in the images. But the stories you tell, I'm not actually following in order because they'll only show up so often yeah. in, your, in your feed. So it's like, so which one did you shoot first? Was it the one thirty or one seventy? I shot the one thirty first. Okay. So, so I shot the one thirty nine point on a canoe hunt on some river bottom, and then seven days later, I shot my Iowa buck. Which was also a 130, but the the difference there is you had a nine point in Missouri and an eight point in Iowa, so so a little bit different. Obviously, a much larger body size deer in Iowa, and then about a month later, I shot my 170 in Missouri, and that was actually during gun season. But I hunted an archery only property, so so I found I, how that happened. Archery only property. That's pretty cool right so so i had my eye on this on property for a while i've been scouting him and in the last couple of years i know there's been some mature deer there and um opening weekend of gun season really didn't show much i wasn't on some good sign it looked like the hunt the property's been hunted really hard and i got to scout this how big is it 
the property. Um, How big is the property? The one I shot my deer on, or the shot, or the one that we were at in opening weekend, because there are two different properties. Oh, I thought we're still. I thought we we're, were leading up to the, the the one you shot. Okay, so that the one I shot was on a th- about a three hundred and fifty acre property. Oh, that's a lot of land to cover. Right. So, but it's a smaller property from what I'm used to hunting. So, so it's all still three hundred acres. Right. Is a lot of land. It is. It is. And that's small to you, because like fuck, small to me is like fifty. <laughs> Dude, I'm talking fifty. Like the smallest piece of property, the buck I shot was on five acres of land. Yeah. No. The 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 property that we're hunting on opening weekend of rifle was seven thousand acres. Jesus. That's so, a lot of land. Yeah. Fuck, bro. You gotta go. You gotta go. Deep. Right. You gotta go deep in that one. Yeah, and and the th- thing is though is that you know we we would find I think we found ten different states parked on that property. I mean that prop that seven thousand acre, not the property that I ended up shooting my buck on, but this property we hunted during rifle was. I mean we a lot of pressure. What do you got, Dakota? Sixteen, but. 16 different States? state tags. No so shit. 16 different state tags and over 83 trucks in one day, one morning, parked on the same property. So if that doesn't t- tell you what kind of public land pressure that we get in Missouri, I mean, it's not And a... these, these trucks aren't single hunters. Yeah. These are, these are three to four guys getting out of a truck. These are group Ooh. hunters. I gotcha. So it becomes a very competitive market, essentially. Hundred percent. So how does that work out with that? Because that with that many right there. Because usually, like property I was telling you yep. about that I wanted to introduce you to, it's like I will turn away if there's more than three people. There's a couple of pieces. There's a couple of places where I was telling you guys where I saw that one buck. Well, the the terrain is so difficult because we have these random little pockets and there's little ravines. So you can go over one ravine, you have this massive bowl. So you have to walk all that. Which is kind of nice because it can actually pigeon it it directs the traffic of where the buck's gonna fo- or the whitetail gonna follow regardless. Man, just seven thousand. So when you guys are so do you guys? I'm I'm assuming. Can you even camp out there? Because it's like in my mind, if I'm gonna want to be the 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 most efficient hunter, I want to go deeper than everybody else to get to the center of the of the tootsie roll pop here and see what all happens because. It's a lot of vehicles. Like I don't even know how you'd want to do it because you're going to cross shooting lanes with somebody. So that that's the trick. That's the that's where the MDC does such a good job with their property management that there's nowhere on that property that's difficult to get to. You know what I mean? So that there's there's access everywhere. There's walk-in trails everywhere. So when it comes to if you want to see success outside of pure luck, you're having to get to places that are overlooked, weird, odd end places, not even middle of the property kind of places because people are doing drives. People are, are hitting these thick bedding areas and they're walking through them. They're not just walking, yeah. hunting the edges of them, they're walking through them. And, and you know, that that's where it gets, you got to just got to get creative to bypass the hunters there's no place that anybody else can't get to if you know what i mean mm-hmm. i see what you mean like the, the property i want to show you it's not going to they have multiple entry points but it's all through bluff country so yep. it's not going to be the easiest because now you got to figure out what's going to be the most commonsensical or you need to, you need to go out there walk it and see where your pinch points are to be able to be able to create that crossroads where you're going to be able to intersect them now you mentioned saddle what do you use, Austin? 
I use a saddle too. So um, it's so, taken me a few years to buy I, into I wanna, the saddle. I want to know more about this because yes. uh, Rendell Eric is he's working at the Iowa Classic at the tethered unit. He's been on my podcast. That motherfucker can shoot deer. Yeah. And he, it's like I have the utmost respect for him because I've listened every time you listen to his podcast, he'll talk. The, the the host do such a good job. We're going to talk about something different. So you may listen to him on like three or four different podcasts, but he's going to drop a different hint. And if you're a good host, you're going to catch up on that and stuff like that because you want to you want to give your guests an opportunity to talk about something they don't have. And it's like Eric provides a lot of good information. And he, this dude is tall and he's got a thirty three inch draw. Yeah, oof. And get this, dude. He's been using a draw length that's actually like two or three inches shorter. He's got a bow now that actually will will um, be more comfortable for him. But the thing is, you got to learn how to do it. I ran into a, season, a situation last year where my bow shop gave me my bow back at an inch shorter. And I didn't recognize it. And, I, and it's like, I got it back in April, May wasn't until july i realized when somebody else pointed out it's like hey your draw length is too short dude man i tell you what i shot uh the r100 and the beast mode king of the hill 3d like literally within seven days of each other getting that bow back of actually drawing back at the proper draw length because what do you draw at i draw at 29 29 you 20 and a half Ooh. Uh, I'm just like I'm a touch taller than Austin. Touch taller. We're we're almost twins, but just a touch. <laughs> no, for those who can't see us, we'll definitely take pictures afterwards. But these guys look so closely resembled. If Dakota like cut his hair like his brother, dude, these guys would be twins. It's, it's just so remarkable that that like their dad produces. Like you definitely know you have the same mother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the only difference is uh, I'm working on the cul-de-sac and he's still got a pretty full head of hair. Dude, it's like, that's lucky, man. It's like, it's weird because it's like, you and I were talking about before we even hit record. It's like, I have a cul-de-sac too and I've been doing it for years, but my dad is fucking bald. So I don't have his jeans. So it's which allows me to actually, but I always wear hats. Yeah. Because I met some, I'm a big supporter of everybody like if you see me wear a hat it's like i got the i will support these guys and i will properly execute a proper argument on why you should use this company because of x y or z yeah right yeah no i'm i'm always wearing wearing a hat and i need to get you one actually i was gonna say speaking of hats you can totally go to our website yeah we got That's some right. cool hats. You have you know? too. You yeah do. we do we do we have some merch, so that, that'll be something you can find on the website. You can find some t-shirts and some hats and whatnot. We don't bark at that very often, do we? No, you don't. It's very quiet. It's like, I, I knew you had merch, but it's like I always saw it on you, Austin. Yeah. Our merch is available. It's just not something that we've pushed crazy hard at this point. Um, but honestly, at the same time, if anyone, if anyone wants to support us and loves what we're doing... Everything that we get from that goes straight into our passions and 100%. honestly providing videos and, and content back to you guys. For sure. So. That's that's where this came in right here. Right. My my new soundboard, it's like, this is fucking awesome. I, I, I love every minute of it. 
See, what is this Saturday Night Live? Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a bad joke right there. It sounds like it's bad. <laughs> this this conversation for me sounds like it's coming from a an actor on SNL. It's like this is just absolute garbage. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, you know, on the on that saddle side side of things that we were talking about, you know, it, I didn't really get sold on it till this year. You know, I was very wish-washy on it. I hunted one season. I think it was my 2020 season, 100% in a saddle. And I said, screw it. And I hunted my, my 2021 season, 100% out of a tree stand. And, you know, and then this last year, I'm hunting the property that I was hunting out of Kansas. I started out of my tree stand and realized that there was no way I was going to be able to harvest the buck I was after in a tree stand without getting busted. It was that I just couldn't find the right trees. There was not enough cover and I was having trouble. I was getting busted a lot at the very beginning of the season. Do you want a real challenge? Start hunting from the ground. Facts. Dude. I've actually heard some incredible things about people harvesting some incredible animals from the ground. Yeah. I've not harvested a fun animal off the ground. Like you so get this. Uh before we hit record, we talk about paintball. Those who know me know I love paintball. I've been playing paintball since nineteen ninety fucking seven. Dude, I've 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 got some miles on these old on these old knees here. (laughs) But I'll tell you what though, it's like when you're hunting from the ground, it's like one of my uh, most favorite experiences camping from last year on public land in Wisconsin, and I had this little, this little basket six come up on my right hand side. He gets within seven yards of my ghost blind. He goes like, "What the fuck's going on here? This son of a gun!" Literally. So those who can't see us, I want to put a. Uh, I have a, a uh, milk carton, and he literally, or not a milk carton, but a uh, water bottle. So I'm right here. Whitetail walks all the way around. Literally 180 degrees behind me, but I, I'm smart. I'm, I'm not a small guy, so I sat in front of a, this massive maple tree, and so what I ended up doing is I use utilize that for himself. And he walks all the way back. I posted f- videos. This was a 40 by 45 minute interaction. I tell you what, it's so much fun because either one of you can get the edge. The worst part was I should have been. That's the one I should have took because I never saw another deer after that. Well, no, I did. I did have a 170 on the same proper or same area different side near some water show up and but that was my far by far more the most fun one but get this though he comes back gets back to the mirrors again he jumps over the fence and he just snorting and wheezing not even five minutes later he shows up at 50 yards dead centered like literally 50 yards but it's, it's too dark there's it's too far to make a shot and i did i knew there was limbs so it's like it wasn't gonna be a uh it's weird it's set in this area similar to where i shot my doe this year that it has opening but there's some trees the branches that will just based off the distance it will catch now, I've, I've shot enough with like going to the beast mode archery games you kind of get a, a grasp of one you when you make those 50, 60 yards, you actually start paying attention to the outside because that wind can shift at any point in time. And as the whole story ends up, so as he shows up, it's like, this is the first time I've ever seen this happen because usually when a deer spots me or blows me out or snorts or whatever, the hunting season, I don't see another deer. I could be sitting on a field edge and never show back up again. So it's like, it's always been a... A 50 50, but this buck for some other reason. But then again, after talking to Rendell Eric, he 
explains that bucks are like humans or like six year olds, seven year olds. They all have their own personality and how it all unfolds. And that's the best way to explain it because he's had, he's, he's seen this in his binos where he's posted up a camera. The buck knows it there and it walks around or walks around the backside of it. He catches it on his, on his binos. Like, that's smart. That's where you learn, like we were talking about tonight. What do you do differently with your cameras that has driven to your success for that 170? I hang them high. There that's you a, go. That's a big That's one. it. And, you know, I've seen a lot, lot of times that if I hang them just, just a few feet lower, that way I can access them, you know, um, from the ground, you know, in arm's reach, I'll get deer looking at the camera. I'll get bucks looking at the camera. And if I just hang them that few feet a little bit higher, I actually don't get as many deer looking at the camera and um, shifting that scrape. Because the, the moment I get deer look at the camera, I end up with a shifted scrape. Especially if I have a red flash infrared camera versus a black flash I'll end up with a, sh a scrape that gets shifted even just, just 10 feet. I've seen it shift 10 feet where no longer I'm getting pictures. But it's just enough out of camera's reach that they're not getting that red flash and they're still hitting that scrape. So it's very interesting to see the deer shift the, their movement once they know something weird is in that tree. That's so true. I, I, my wife and I have a buck. We, I have mine was called uh, Dark Man because it only show up at dusk or light, but it's coming off of a field, walking across a 300 acre field. Three, excuse me, straight line, 300 yard walk. Coming off there, and I've had my uh, truck cam pretty much eye level, like his, let's say it's coming down. So it's going to, it's going to, his chin bones be right at his elbows, we would say, with, on the front, from the, on the, on the front uh, quarters. And you'd see you'd see him once, lost him. Then the next time I saw him was like literally two years later, just coming off the field again, but it's 10 yards up, getting back to the 10-yard scrap. I got pictures of him. I posted him on Instagram and TikTok and stuff, and it's like, dude, he's, he, he's a monster. He is he's interesting. The, the, my best picture came from 2017, 2018, where he's coming straight, even dead aim. He's looking right at it, and the, the, you could see – the reflection of the 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 red triggering his eyes and it's like boom he's gone he's yep. just like they never see him again well it's like man it's like this this guy it's like i want to shoot you i'm going to shoot you one day but i end up losing the permission to shoot on hunt the land because the guy retired dude was dude was awesome he would ken he he's a a welder out of uh olmstead county minnesota and dude this guy was just awesome man let my let him, like he knew uh, he gave me such liberty on the property that without even asking, I would clean up the property. Like let's say cleaning up bottles or plastic or something like that. And uh, like the biggest thing is like I always cleaned up my blinds or tree stands, pulled it all of his property and stuff like that, just to kind of clean that stuff up. Because dude, he's let me hunt on his property without having to pay a lease and have to worry about paying the property taxes. Yeah. That's where it's at, bro. Yeah, absolutely. So now, in your sta in your saddles, in your saddle stands, how high do you guys go? Now, give the give the audience when Austin or Dakota you speak, how tall you are, 
and how high off the ground you are based off your successes so far. So I'm 6'1", and say my my buck this year in Kansas. Okay. I was, I think my platform, so my feet, I think I was right around 18 to 20 feet off ground in my platform. Okay. So, so you know, my, my bow would have ended up being right around that 25 feet range. And I was up in a cedar in that. And anything lower than that for me has, I've had iffy response. And especially being a self-filmer, I've got a, lot, a little bit extra in the tree, you know, with my camera gear and, and everything in that tree. So I try to get that 20 to 20, the 18 to 20 feet in a, in a tree. If I can get closer to 25 that's preferred for me. You know what I mean? And that, that seems like a safe bet. I gave you a safe bet right in that bottle. You should finish that thing off because you're not I driving. I was, I was going to say it's tempting. I got it. That's You guys, that, if that, you've never champion. tried Jim Beam Red Stag. We just finished off a bottle between the three of us. That's, that's, that's how good it is. Now, it does. it is very sweet for yes. those who are curious about it. Yeah, it's it's very good. I think it's technically a liqueur, but it has a lot more of a whiskey taste to it than a liqueur. Well, you know, it'd be interesting to see what they say about it, because sometimes they'll just uh, talk about their overall whiskey. All I got to say is when you're sitting next to a campfire, I think it warms you up just as bad as good. <laughs> oh, I <laughs> it bet does it does. The job. Oh, man, it, I bet it did, taste, it did taste amazing. We just finished that bad boy off. So that's interesting that you've been able to, that, that, how high you go. So when you go up that high, mm-hmm. how much additional weight are you carrying up in there? Because videoing your hunts is not a light labor, especially no. if you're based off of the, what we've been, we've been accumulating to, what we've been talking about here. It's like this is a disciplined action. So... Half of my gear, at least half of the weight of my gear is camera gear. So if I were, were to actually just be hunting, I would have such an ultralight setup. It would be ridiculous. And, but but I have narrowed things down as much as possible. That, that way I'm not sacrificing camera footage and quality of the film in the tree by you know, minimizing gear. So, and th- this year, what was a big upgrade for me when it came to camera gear, I added stuff. Yeah. You, you and I were talking about yes, it because I asked you what you, what you upgraded to because mm-hmm. your quality is like, it went up a little bit. I'm rocking mm-hmm. the M200, but dude, bro, you, you stepped it up a whole nother level. Yeah. I went to the Canon RP as my main camera. And a big thing too, is I, I upgraded my audio. So I'm now rolling not just a sh- a good shotgun mic, but I'm rolling a wireless lavalier microphone system. So if you the, if you really listen to my my videos, and especially if you look at that Kansas buck, what's really cool is you can not only hear him walking in, but you can hear me me breathing. And at, at one point, you see him stop and look up at me in the camera and you hear me whisper oh shit because I, I i thought i was busted you know uh-huh. you know what i mean but but like i said that 
so softly into my my mask that that you know obviously he he would have had no, no clue what was happening but that audio picked it up so 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 i upgraded big time in my audio and and overall just ca camera gear so the image looks better but that audio really just brings that video to life and you know i'm not willing to give that up to lose weight you know in, in my setup so i just i like how it turned how that video turns out too much to give up any gear on that side of things and lose a little bit of quality in my vi video just to lose some weight in my setup so i'm i'm willing to give up to carry a little bit extra weight to create that quality video so to get a perspective on the weight you would you would pack in without camera equipment what is your weight difference between the two if you were with or without camera equipment? i think i add 20 to 25 pound difference between wow. my my camera gear and camera arm everything that has anything to do my secondary camera anything that has anything to do with filming okay i mean i'm carrying almost nothing without without camera gear so you're all literally 25 pounds less so your saddle would be what way six pounds maybe, maybe yeah maybe. you were you were i was i was watching dakota I, what you got all i was gonna add was on top of the weight that you guys are talking about yeah is you're adding an extra 10 10 to 15 minute setup at least so what people don't you don't think about that when you're waking up early in the morning you're brewing your coffee and you're getting ready to go to your tree stand yeah. and you're trying to beat these deer before daylight or get set up at a certain time is you you still got to set up your camera gear in the tree. That's yep. time. And when you're crunching the cr the clock, say you're running late, you wake up because it's four thirty in the morning. We all know how that is. Yeah. We all work full time jobs. <laughs> you know, so like you're you know you're like oh man that alarm goes off. You're excited to go hunt, but at the same time you're running a lake. So that that extra thirty minutes sounds really good to be in bed. But the thing is though is that that fifteen minutes of extra setup time that it takes in the tree with that camera equipment to be able to provide the quality of footage it actually it's crazy to think 15 minutes makes a difference but when you're sitting there watching that sun come up across the horizon and you know your bow is still on the ground because you haven't pulled it up yet because you're trying to get your you know your shoulder mount or something attached around the tree before a sun comes up so yeah. that if a deer is within 10 minutes of you you're not here so it doesn't hear you all of that makes a difference and i i i give incredible you know like recognition to austin for his persistence on being able to stay true to that because his camera like his camera gear and him he gives himself time to be able to get set up in the mornings to be able to be successful on these deer like it self-filming alone takes such a step um in the process and i think like that extra time alone not just the weight but the extra time that goes into setting up the tree in the mornings is something that is often overlooked by people uh -huh, yeah you are exactly right so how long have you guys, both of you, been hunting saddle? Because this weekend at the Iowa Classic here, I am going to meet up with Rendell. I'm going to have him set me up in a saddle to find out more about it. 
where did you guys like do you guys saw that this is the new norm or you wanted to give it a shot give us a, a mental idea of what's going on with your, your thought process of getting into saddle hunting so i didn't get into it for a long time i i, I saw it you know it was kind of becoming a little bit of fad and kind of this 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 buzz in the industry and i didn't think it looked comfortable personally and and you know so i, I kind of didn't get into it for a long, long time because I, I had a system that worked for me and but it got to the point where like you know what Th this makes sense like that this idea makes sense of being this mobile and this light and that there are certain things about the set that started to intrigue me and and so i bought one and I started getting into it. and started learning it, and and there is a learning curve versus a tree stand, obviously. And you know, I even though once I bought the saddle, I still went back and forth between like I still haven't figured out how to get comfortable in this tree stand, in the saddle, versus the tree stand. And I'm a I sit all day a lot. I do a lot of all day sits. And a big reason for that isn't necessarily because I have all day movement, but it's because my access is intrusive enough that if I left for lunch, I would do more harm than if I just stayed there for the full day. You know, you know, you, yeah. you know what I mean? So so it's no, like, exactly so, so even though necessarily it's not it's not necessarily a full day hunt it's not a good time of year to do a full day hunt it would do me more harm to leave and come back th than it would to actually just stay there so mm -hmm. so figuring out how to get comfortable in an all, all day sit has been a very large learning curve over the last few years and uh, like i said earlier it wasn't really until this year that everything clicked for me that i figured out how to get comfortable on an all day sit and and I, I figured out that my Candace buck, I don't think I would have harvested this buck if I wasn't in a saddle. Like I, I knowing how the trees were, knowing how all the deer were reacting to me when I was in a tree stand versus the saddle leading up to me shooting this deer, I was getting busted in the tree stand. So I think what I learned is that you can harvest deer out of a saddle that you will not be able to harvest out of a tree stand, but you cannot do it vice versa. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. So, so that the cover that and concealment and movement ability that comes from being in a saddle, you cannot replicate in a tree stand so that there's certain deer that you will be able to shoot because you're in a saddle and not get busted that you will not be able to do the same in a tree stand. So, so once I, th this year was my light bulb moment and I've been hunting it off and on for the last three years or so. And this year was fi finding my light bulb moment where I figured out how to get comfortable in it on an all day set. And I really learned the true benefits to the saddle versus the tree stand in on the same property same kind of trees and same deer herd it just it just clicked for, for me how about you dakota 
Um, you know, I think the, uh, the saddle came out of a, you don't know unless you try it. Yep. Okay. Type of curiosity for me. Um, I knew that I was going to be sacrificing comfort for mobility. Um, but then I spent a little extra money on a saddle that was supposed to be rated, you know, like more comfortable than so-and-so. So I bought it. And luckily for me, um, I ended up harvesting a deer, I think it was my first year, with that saddle. But it was only because I was able to get set up on him so mobily and so quietly versus a tree stand. Yep. Because I know he was bedded, I mean, 100 yards behind me, you know. And I brought in my climbing steps, uh, the wild edge steps, at the, and my ring of steps in my saddle and i'm telling you right now i wouldn't have been able to get hung that quietly that stealthily with a tree stand and that was my first that was my first harvest to have a saddle um but you are sacrificing comfort you're sacrificing some serious comfort when it comes to all day sits from a tree stand to a saddle Mm -hmm. um but i think the the advantages, if you can figure out how to sit comfortably in a saddle, it's possible. There's times it's funny. I don't know if my bridge has been shorter. My I don't know what it is that I did on a certain tree that made it comfortable. But I've had some trees where I've sat there with no like no shin pads, no ankles, like no straps, no, like nothing holding me, j- just my knees. And I've been able to sit there all day. And saddles can be comfortable to do that in. It's just figuring out how it works for you. And apparently this year Austin got it figured out. And I'm going to have to take some notes from him because I'm still, uh, you know, kneecapping it on the old tree bark. But uh, I think when the pros and cons come down to it, Austin completely nailed it. A tree stand, you're going to be able to sit longer. You're going to be able to sit more comfortably, which potentially could be more stealthy because you're not moving as much. I personally, I don't know if I have like, I don't know what I do in a tree, but I just can't stop moving. You know, I'm always swaying. You know, I'm always just kind of, that's just me. It's my personality. It's how my body is. Like, I'm always moving. Well, when you're in a tree and you're hunting whitetail, you can't do that. Yeah. And, you know, and I've noticed when I'm in a saddle, sometimes I'm just, you know, trying to find a comfort zone and I ended up swaying versus a tree stand. I'm sitting still and my sightings go up it's crazy and then there's and then the moments i've actually been really successful have come with my saddle and i think it's because of the extra cover um the angle difference between you and that deer that a saddle provides versus a tree stand a tree stand you are in front of the tree and you're a tumor in the tree a saddle, you're at least at a 45 degree angle, if not slightly more, if you're really sitting deep into your saddle, which you look like a limb coming out of the tree. There's so much more benefit to concealment and um, being able to stay undetected plus mobility to a saddle, but you can't, you cannot replicate the pros of a saddle with a tree stand. And I also think that the comfort in a saddle is looked at wrong. Because I think all saddles 
per se can be comfortable depending on your bridge length and your tether height where you set your tether and your bridge length i think all saddles can be comfortable it's for me it's in your knees it's the torque that goes in your knees and it's it's your feet to stay comfortable i, I have no issue staying in in the saddle itself the saddle itself is never an issue for me in the stand you figure out your bridge length to be comfortable in your hips and you figure out your tether height to make sure you don't have any weird pressure points coming in your back or coming in your in your thighs but um it's always in the knee and feet position for me that uh, whether you can stay in that saddle all day or not and that that's something that you know you we the, the marketing of it is that, hey, this saddle is more comfortable than this saddle. Well, I think all saddles can be comfortable if you use them correctly. It's in your knees and in your feet that are make the difference. So it's it's in your platform or it's in your ring of steps, whatever you decide to use. If you set them up properly and you use the right one, I think that is where your actual comfort comes from. So a lot of trial and error what you're, is what you're saying? Yes, sir. I feel like I feel like just about everything, you know, everything in the woods comes your 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 most your the the most you learn comes from your failures. Yep. It's not it's not the successes that you learn the most from. It's the failures. Because I'm telling you right now that one sixty that got by you from three yards hurts a little bit more than a one forty that you connected on at you know at 15 it's like you learn you just you learn differently you learn from it you got that right that's the when you when you get out in the in the in the forest you never know what's going to happen and that's the best part about it you know cuz it's like i've sat on the ground I have sat up in a tree stand. And I've had some of my favorite experiences are on, on, on the ground because this happened. I don't know if I told you guys. It's been a while since I've told a story, but this would have probably been 20, it would have been 2020, uh, fall of 2020. And the year my grandma passed away, and I found a spot where I could fit on, sit on the field edge. And I've had, I'd have deer walk within seven to 11 yards. I took a, a shot. At a deer, I thought I thought was at 25, 30 yards. So I put my pin at 30 yards because I, I forgot my I forgot my range finder, and it was only 80 yards away. But it's one of those scenarios where it's like, why well, time you realize like, shit, it's so far away. And so I really stress when you practice, make sure you practice at that 20 yards or less to kind of get those visual notions. So this way, then your those keys when you're looking out forward stuff like that but i had one deer i had a doe this one doe she walked out in front of me at seven yards broadside and it was just an absolute treat to watch her do that and there's been a few times where she's she's busted me she's caught me but i'm just i was i just haven't had a chance to to connect with her again yet to see if i can put an arrow through her but i tell you what some of my favorite memories are with does because they have some interesting personalities Shot a doe that I came that had a slug wound from a previous season from in, in southeastern Minnesota, and it healed over. 
She had so much fat on her, but boy, we we probably we pulled ninety pounds of meat off of her after all said and done. That's a big doe. And the fact that we found that, it's like it's just remarkable how these deer are. And I it's that's where I swear does are just so much in, so much more interesting to shoot because bucks are kind of dumb. But does does are a whole other ball game when it comes down to it. I had a doe this year. She woke up. I was actually hunting north of uh, New Albert or of, or of Eau Claire, I mean, at Wisconsin. And I had this doe show up right at dusk, 15 minutes prior to that magic hour. She walks up, she has a doe in tow, a fawn, a female doe. Then, not even like two or three minutes later, here comes a spike buck walking right behind her. It's like, I bet she produces twins. Because it's, it's just a spike buck and all that happening so quickly. It's just, it's just sinks in that it's like that's mama and everything else but now it's like the buck's initial instincts are now kicking in where it's like well i'm just gonna, I'm gonna sacrifice you too and see what happens type scenario but i've i've had a i have a i had a doe on two different properties in minnesota that produced twins and it's like it was so exciting when she showed up and it's like you see her she see her, you see her fat it's like good there's like I mean, she's healthy she's surviving she's gonna have some twins and then the next minute you know you see two four-legged animals walking around it's like I, uh, fall of 2019 was always fun to watch because i'd get spy point images sent to me i'll see this doe and her and her two fawns like ah that's so cool because those are probably the most sought after. There's some genetic mutation that works out in the favor of hunters because they produce two animals in one season. It's like not all animals are able to do that. So it is a pleasure to find. It's, it's just always something to excite you about because you don't know it's like it's going to be two toes, going to be two, a buck and a fawn or a, a buck and a doe or two bucks. It's like I've not yet seen this. Somebody out there may have already seen this happen, but we're a fawn to produce two bucks. It's like, that is, I, I have no idea what the odds are, but that'd be so cool to watch them grow up. And you, you see the lineage, and especially when you see some of the older bucks, it's just so unique when you when you actually get a really good history profile of it. I think I hunted this one project, property for three years, and I got to see a nice hierarchy of who were the big ones and the lineage and stuff like that. Cause there's a couple, like the one that I shot, it's a, it's a seven pointer, four on one side, three. And I've, before I lost the, the opportunity to hunt the property, I still see those, see his lineage show up. Yeah. I mean, rarely, rarely, I think, do you ever hear of two bucks actually being born in the same, Litter. with the same doe. Like maybe two does, you know, yeah. two does like, twin sisters or something but like i've never heard i've never heard of two bucks doing it two bucks at the same time that'd be pretty good i shot a twin last year dude it's it is it is a eye-opening experience so i i had these two twins 40 yards watched them walking out stuff like that and it's like these these two outtake last day of the hunt might as well put some meat in the freezer shot one and that 45 minutes has changed my entire perspective on watching a animal grieve and move on. Yep. It is, it is something that just hits you differently. And it's like, I respect, you respect the animal so much more and you put more thought and process behind your future encounters. Yep. I mean, it, it's, you know, 
nature's cruel, you know, so that, that these deer are used to, these animals are used to dealing with the, the natural cycle. So, you know, and, and hunting is just part of it. So that they learn how to, you know, if one ends up getting, you know, harvested, they, they learn, they move on and, you know, they learn how to survive themselves, you know, just kind of depend on, on, they take those experiences and they move on. So guys, what, what haven't we talked about yet that we talked about in the last like four hours of our, of our interactions that we have missed? That's a solid question. What have we missed? I was actually going to say, I was just going to add on earlier to um, the height that you were talking about. Okay. Just on the tree stand. Oh, that's right. We never did. Stuff. We never did get to you. Yeah. I do apologize for that. No, so you're good. Let's you're good. let's get your your height just... and measurement and your in your perspective because Austin did a fantastic job, but mm -hmm. Dakota, man, you 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 have a story. So let's break I just, it down. I I kind of just wanted to point out. I think it makes a difference in the saddle and the tree stand. For me, when I set my tree stands, I don't like to set under twenty five feet. Really, you um, like to be really yeah. that high up. Yes. That's interesting. Um, I don't know if it's my own insecurity with being so um, new to self-filming that I'm try I want to make sure I give myself as much um, leniency, you know, room for error, movement. If I have a deer creep in, creep in on me, I don't want to be 12 feet off the ground to the point where every little move I make, it catches. Um, but when it comes down to it, I'm trying to get past... Um, 90% of the deer I see just to get to the one I want to shoot. And so for me, when it comes to a tree stand, I don't like to be 20, you know, I don't like to be 25 feet. I like to be 25 to 30. Um, if I'm 20, then it starts getting, it starts, I start getting picked off in a tree stand, whereas a saddle, I don't. Interesting. So is that, is, is that in Kansas or is that Missouri? Missouri. That I personally okay. haven't had the opportunity to hunt Kansas yet, which I'm hoping to, hoping to change that, you know, in the next year or two, uh, just based on draw and all that stuff. But uh, um, that's Missouri. Um, that's just from my experiences in Missouri is I just, I've been extremely exposed in a tree stand if I'm low. Hmm. And whereas a saddle, uh, for whatever reason, just it, you don't get picked off. You don't get picked off the same as you do in a tree stand. And so that's my, that's kind of my techniques with the tree stand versus saddle is when I'm in a saddle, I'm not as concerned about height. Whereas in a tree stand, I will not hang a tree stand unless I can get above a certain point in a tree just because it just seems like you're a tumor and deer just look right up at you. All right. I have a friend of mine down in Alabama talk about like, having deer look up at you because he hunts in some block box blinds that are elevated and yeah he, he you he's show he's showing videos on his social media where he doesn't have a whole lot of window to to kind of conceal his his uh position and such so it's interesting how the further south you get because i've i've had deer look around me but never at me when i'm up in the tree stand except for one doe that's the one i told you earlier tonight right where i shot her it's like it was my first heart heart shot ever watch your rear up just drop down and it was done it's like this is 
a perfect script. Couldn't ask for a better scenario. My buck that I shot, I was 26 feet in the air on a two-man double stand on private property, mind you. And I saw a buck walk out 40 yards out into a field, walks back down, walks around, and he provides me an opportune shot. But it's like this whole process took 45 minutes for him to give me the opportunity to double lung him. So I'm a big, big proponent of that. So it's like, and then I've also shot deer on the ground. So I guess I'm just kind of, I, I like the, the ground ones because it's like, we were talking earlier about paintball. Cause like paintball can be pretty, uh, not only competitive, but it can be very exciting, especially in your own skill level and how you've matured. So like, cause I was talking to you guys about how my experience changed. Like as I started from semi-auto to the higher end markers, then I switched down to the lowest possible technology out there. And I had the most amount of fun because it's like you get one shot. And so you hit that spot, you get ready to go. And I've, I've, I swear, it's like, I, it's something that I learned from my dad. He's always been a muzzleloader shot. So it's like, it's equivalent to archery in, in the, in the uh, gun world. Just yeah. because one shot and you miss up, it's like it could take you 30 to 45 seconds to get another round ready to rock and roll. Because you still got to set up, lay it out, get behind it, line it up, go from there. You may be seconds, but when you will add everything together, boy, it's, it adds up quickly. And, you know, I I, I look at that, you know, I, I ventured through the, the Bass Pro Museum here in the last few months. And you look look at those those bucks, the stories that were, this deer was shot with a recurve, and then this de- deer was shot. This dude shot every bullet that he had on him that day, and and you just like, I respect the dude doing it with a recurve more. And you know what I mean? It's like he 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 took the tent the time and the discipline to get that deer in closer and to make one perfect shot versus Mm -hmm. seven to 12 okay shots that you finally had one hit the mark you you know what i mean and it's just like you hone your craft more you know you go from that high end like you said that high end marker debt down to that that pump marker and you just you're just honing your craft more and you're being more precise with your movements and precise with your a- aiming and making it count versus you know shooting as much as you possibly can to find the vo- to find the accuracy by volume per se you're being accuracy with a single shot that's 100 percent true turkey season what are you guys gonna do for turkey are you guys gonna Go out, or are you guys both primarily whitetail? We're primary well, primarily whitetail, but I think we're getting some some turkey plants his setting up. Yeah, I think this year is going to be one of the first. I think this year is going to be the first year that we set in the uh, set a foot in the woods for turkey, and not just hey, if we run into turkey with our archery tag, you know, like we'll shoot them. I think this year is going to be the first year we go out in the spring and actually target some turkey because we've seen some big big turkey while we've been out deer hunting and uh it's it's a it's gotten us excited just to go out and put an arrow in one because when you're seeing like a 25 30 pound turkey out there you know like 10 10 inch beard you're like man i never i never shot one of those before but i think i want to now and for me personally um 
I have I have more time available on my hands now that I'm outside of you know outside of baseball and time season you know and seasons and stuff like that. It's like I'm definitely hundred percent planning on getting out into the turkey you know into the woods this year and get after a turkey. And I know our cousins wanting to get out there and and get us in the woods on a big bird. So and I know um, Antler and Feather Company's got another podcast that I've done and the just one outdoors boys. I know that they've been shooting challenges at, at me that we're looking at possible public land Turkey challenge that we got going on this spring. So we'll, we'll kind of see what we can set up with, with those boys also. So I was going to say, I'm just, I, I love being in the woods and whether it's chasing a bird or a deer, I, I don't even care anymore. I, I am, I'm, I'm super excited about, you know, meet you know the connections and meeting people and uh just the time in the woods and yeah whether you're chasing a bird or a deer just the time in the woods man you can't beat that that is 100 percent true have you guys looked in the bow hunting league yet yeah we have that we actually um did that this year so we, we had a you, saw, few, you guys registered for this yeah, upcoming we, we 2023 a, we have an upcoming n- not for the upcoming year Okay. So we, we did for the 2022 season. Yeah. Okay. So I got him on Instagram, and I keep track of his stuff, and we shoot messages back and forth here on occasion. So, yeah, we'll see how this 2023 season goes. Sweet. Yeah. Uh, ben Henderson and Matt Powell, those guys are just fucking savages when it comes down to the whole process. And these guys are getting grinding hard on developing their product and getting out there, and, like, they've, been, they've massed a massive group of solid solid people so it's pretty exciting to see everybody just grow from there i mean it's just absolutely massive yeah he he's really done an awesome job i I love seeing what the you know the top bucks shot and then especially the first deer you know you see a lot of the first archery bucks that he's been posting on on instagram it's fun to see see those books i think honestly i think those books get me the most excited because you know what it felt when you first when you shot your first buck at that point and you know that they're not the biggest deer in that archery contest but those are the deer that are feeding the passion you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah there's always been some respectable bucks i mean if you guys have a chance to meet matt powell man that guy is just full of knowledge i mean if you want to if you want to cons- kill consistent bucks on public land that guy knows his stuff he yeah. does he's very intelligent knows how to read land nav he's, he's like he's just impressive to watch because the first time i had a chance to talk to him a couple of years ago he came off a six state season Oof. yeah there was a five state one well, i know he had he had six bucks i wasn't sure if it was two bucks from one state or all six but boy he is a mad scientist behind he, he it's a he does he's, he's a unsung hero on the knowledge that he produces but boy he just i just admire him so much that he's able to be able to do it and he works his butt off too it's like he's able to provide for his family and his wife and and be able to do all that stuff it's like dude hats off to you man yeah no that's that's really cool i like what he's got going on so now what do you guys have planned for the summer then because you got we have Turkey season, that's going to eventually end. Are you guys going to get any 3D shoots? Are you going to do a TAC or a Mount Archery Fest or HJUSA? I don't know how much we're going to be able to get doing on the, the 3D archery. I think we're going to try to hit 
one or two shoots, but we don't have anything planned right now. Mm-hmm. I know for sure, um, you know, with me going into that, um, the Whitetail Slam this next year, June is when I'm really going to start running cameras for my September hunt in Kentucky. So, you know, that we'll be running the cameras pretty hard, and um, I've got workshops getting scheduled for june which will be really exciting we're going to talk all things whitetail and mobile hunting and everything so we, we got some we got some stuff coming for for this summer we'll see what kind of 3d shoots we can throw in there though that's that'll be a wise thing to do just because it kind of makes things fun yeah it really is it, it is the it's the golf for men it's yeah men it's like it's golf for men essentially it's just a fantastic thing where you like get out there and actually shoot at a whole bunch of different targets if you really want to fun, go to the R100s. 100 targets, two days, 50 targets a day. Dude, it, it is it is a fun shoot. I got a couple of videos out there regarding when I shot a T- T-Rex last year. It's like, you don't you don't get to shoot a T-Rex very often. So That'd be I, a good time. Not every yeah, day. yeah, not every day. It's like, especially when it's not a... It's something probably caught... If you were to have it made and shipped to you, probably be like a $10,000 target. It'd be <laughs> massive because it's 16 foot tall. It is no joke. When it comes down to it, now, uh, are you going to be running trail like cellular cams then? And how are you able to for all these cameras? Because I mean, that's a lot of cameras, especially because you want to hit five states, six states. It'll be five states this year. Five yeah. states. Whew. So we'll we'll see how I'll prioritize my cameras basically. So I'll prioritize my cameras in order of hunts. So I'm gonna prioritize my cell cameras and main cameras for my early september hunt first and try to locate a pattern on a on deer and and then start shifting my cameras over to my you know other properties for october and november and feed off of my post season scouting where those deer might not show up at that specific location till the end of september so you know i've got a few months where they're going to be on summer patterns where i'm getting pictures and intel for my early season september hunt and then i can shift those cameras pull those cameras and shift them to locations that i know those deer are going to show up at come end of september beginning of october okay and then i can move into my my pre-rut October lull hunting from there and gather intel with my cameras from those. So there'll be a lot of a lot of shifting and moving cameras to gather intel on all these properties. You gonna be joining on joining him on some of these hunts? Often. <laughs> we've 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 always enjoyed um, doing these expeditions together and stuff, and uh, uh, it's just more to come. So we're I'm definitely gonna be tagging along for the camera camera checks and all of the all the hunting expeditions. So you best bet I'm gonna be there. It's fantastic guys. So any any closing segments that we missed that you wanna cover? I don't think so. I'm thinking good? pretty good. Alright, so what are the best ways to find tactical approach outdoors? So Tactical Approach Outdoors, if you search that on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube, you're going to find me. 
And then you look at my website, tacticalapproachoutdoors.com. You're going to find all of my Deer Hunter Academy courses. You're going to find my private land consulting services and anything and everything that has to do about Tactical Approach Outdoors. If you want some more information about who we are, what we do, and what we're all about, that would be a fantastic place to find us. And then just follow along on Instagram youtube and tiktok i post on a very regular basis and you've got all sorts of tactics and information that goes into my videos there we go how about yourself dakota are you are you off the are you off the social medias uh no i i mean i definitely keep keep up with i follow all of our stuff and you know i'm i'm my brother's biggest fan and uh you know i i shoot you know, I follow up with all of our stuff and uh, um, try to contribute as best I can. That's fantastic, guys. I appreciate you both, you being on the podcast. We did officially polish off the red stag. It's gone. Jim Beam, and we had some tasty cigars from... Those were worth noting, by the way. I believe so, too. Now, I have to give a shout-out to my good boy, Jeremy Fisher from the Snap. so please go download that. And the he introduced me to Deadwood Tobacco Company. They're based out of Argentina. And tonight, I got to enjoy Leather Rose. It sounds kind of weird, but boy, if you were a cigar fan, you're going to like it. And then also we have Sweet Jane. And then I gave one of my favorites to... My good friend Austin, what did you think of that cigar that uh, I got for you? That was a really good cigar. I'm going to have to have you send me a picture of that so I can try to find it down in Kansas City where we're at because that was a very, very good smoke. I like a little bit of heavier cigar smoke, but it had a lot of a sweet flavor to it as well. So it was a very smooth smoke. Exactly. And you, this was one. Of your, this was the first time you actually had any, had one. So it's like, yeah, I'm you. You enjoy that sweet Jane? The sweet Jane was awesome. It definitely. It, I I want to find it myself because it it has some good flavor to it. Yeah, I was talking to your, your brother about it. Like, and he was explaining to you like what your tastes are and like the length of time because each cigar is going to have a, a different length of desired time. So it's like, well. Some people get burnt out from it, and they just find it get kind of disgusting. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you, we, I think we, I, I paired you up with the right one, so this way it just hit the right amount of length that you were willing to dedicate to such an item. Yeah, it was perfect. Yeah, I, it hit the spot. I, I have thoroughly enjoyed everything about this evening. Fantastic, guys. I want to say thank you for everybody tuning into the Bucks of America podcast. This episode will be aired out with many others with the. Uh, Iowa Deer Classic, and they'll be showing up throughout the next several weeks. So I appreciate everybody tuning in.